So we do a lot of um, we do a lot of invoking of God's presence. I'm noticing in our worship. The first song is "Come Fall on Us." The second song is uh, "The Spirit of the Lord is Here." The evidence is all around. Your love surrounds us, and um, it takes a while to figure out who that is, or what that is, or what that presence is like that we're invoking. And our reading today um, that Hope did a great job. Uh, she read from Proverbs uh, 8, which is the lectionary reading. This is a reading going on in lots of different churches today. Um, we, we had to shorten it. Uh, and we used the easy readers version. We just had the first couple of verses and the last few verses to give you a feel for the reading. Um, but our reading today is super helpful for uh, adjusting our feelings toward God or about God, especially if our, those feelings have been shaped by forms of Christianity that are about like imposing power or that have a mission to defend traditional hierarchies like men ruling over women and, and all that stuff that we're all too unfortunately familiar with. Um, the thing is, the Hebrew Bible, uh, what uh, some Christians call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and then the Newer Testament, the writings that came in the aftermath of Jesus, they actually have a lot of ambivalence about hierarchies. Um, hierarchies are regarded as like necessary for maintaining order, especially where chaos would be worse, like in Iraq, you know, we had that experience some years ago. But like when Israel uh, wanted to name uh, a king, God was like, don't do it bad idea. They wanted to impose like a new level of hierarchy in the system and God was like, please don't do that. You'll be sorry. Israel did it. Israel was sorry. And God incorporated it into his like purpose and plan for Israel and, and just typical. Um, the New Testament also acknowledges the, the need or the necessity of some hierarchy but the New Testament also includes a stream of radical nonconformity to some of our most beloved uh, binaries or hierarchies. Um, there is, this is from Galatians 5:28. there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there, nor is there male and female. It's like, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Penny Johnson is here today visiting from Florida. <laughs> Penny was one of our founding Blue Ocean members. And um, Penny was a founding member of our staff when uh, Emily and I were various versions of basket cases when we first got started. Um, Emily was there picking up the pieces and putting them back into our baskets. And, and uh, it was an important part of getting this church launched. And I'm sure is having a wonderful time in Florida finding a church too, right? Um, you can hear <laughs> Right. So um, just a very side note. I, I'm annoyed by this and I'm actually deeply grieved by it. For, but it won't last long for me to tell you. Um, the Vatican issued... Uh, a document this past week which was really bad. It was uh, urging educators and parents to resist making space for transgender students as if they you know, needed extra pressure and um, ignoring all the medical research. All the, 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 it's definitely this document is going to make life hard for transgender students in our schools. Um, and it just reminded me we need a better vision of God 
than the celestial enforcer of our hierarchies and our and our binaries and today i'm i'm taking it was healing for me preparing this this um message because i had time to meditate on proverbs 8 the entire chapter uh, and today we're going to take some consolation and inspiration from a much overlooked stream in the tradition um, that that really is meant to inform our view and i think it'll be helpful to us let me just read i'm going to read first the easy readers version that um, that hope read and then we'll transition to the robert alter translation but the version that we had for our reading today is listen Wisdom is calling. Yes, understanding is shouting for us. Wisdom stands at the top of the hill by the road where the paths meet. She is near the entrance to the city, calling from the open gates. I'm calling out to all of you. I'm speaking to everyone. I grew up as a child by God's side, wisdom speaking, laughing and playing all the time. I played in the world God made and enjoyed the people God put there. Isn't that delightful? Those are the first verses and the last verses of Proverbs 8. So there are three sections, major divisions to the Bible that Jesus knew and that Paul knew, which is the Hebrew Bible. Those three major sections are the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Law of Moses, uh, traditionally attributed to Moses, also called the Torah, the Prophets, which includes the Psalms, by the way, and Song of Songs, I think. I'm not sure. And then the writings. Now, the writings include Job, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs. And each of these three books in the writings um, includes substantial, what you would say, subversive to conventional piety elements in them. So Job has these horrible friends quoting scripture to him, the conventional wisdom of the time, and he's, they're doing that all day, just adding to his considerable sufferings. Um, the refrain of Ecclesiastes is, vanity, all is vanity. You don't start your purpose-driven life conference with vanity, all is vanity. <laughs> and then various versions of eat, drink, and, and be merry for tomorrow we die. So that's Ecclesiastes. And the Proverbs has two of these um, kind of subversive to um, conventional piety strands in them. One is the open embrace of contradiction. I just love this about Proverbs. There are certain views of the Bible that say, well, the Bible only has apparent contradictions, and, but not real contradictions. Well, put this in your pipe and smoke it. This is from Proverbs 26.4. Do not answer a dolt by his folly, lest you too be like him. That's verse 4. Verse 5 is, answer the dolt by his folly, lest he seems wise in his own eyes. <laughs> it's like, it's like, and, and they're right together in, in Proverbs. And the second strand in Proverbs, besides its open embrace of, of contradiction, is the depiction of wisdom as a woman. Lady wisdom, as she's referred to. Uh, Sophia is the term in the Greek for wisdom, who's a figure that in, actually in the early church was viewed as like a precursor to a Trinitarian understanding of God, like very closely connected to God in the, in the, in the tradition, sometimes even identified with God. Um, and lest we think this lady wisdom thing is some quirky Old Testament thing, Jesus himself identified very closely with wisdom 
And we see that in the Gospels. They could, you know, cite chapter and verse for that. Well, wisdom is proved right by his, when he's defending himself. He's saying, wisdom is proved right by her children, meaning his disciples and his followers. It's him, he's identifying as wisdom there, Sophia. Um, and uh, Paul echoes this with uh, Christ, the wisdom of, of God. So today's reading from Proverbs 8, um, what we see, Lady Wisdom is depicted as loud, assertive, sassy, serious, alluring, and playful. And we're using the Robert Alter translation, which is the best. Let's take loud, assertive, and sassy first. Look, wisdom calls out, and discernment lifts her voice. At the top of the heights, on the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. By the gates, at the city's entrance, at the approach to the portals, she shouts. So she's loud. In, in traditional societies, um, like the one that this text came from, women are segregated from men. Women uh, have to keep a low profile in public. Um, women tend to keep their eyes down in the presence of men. When I traveled to Kashmir, a very traditional society in northern India in the 1990s, this was exactly what the culture was like. You'd be walking in the streets and it'd be mainly men holding hands, men holding hands with each other. And occasionally you'd see a woman peeking out of the, out of the window. And if you were in any social setting where women were present in homes, they were in like a separate a separate room and there was the downcast eye and this is a similar culture to what we have here and yet wisdom lady wisdom is is loud and she's assertive with powerful men which I find fascinating lady wisdom is assertive with powerful men because she's shouting at the gates at the city entrance and at the portals like the portals would be like the entryways like the Entry to Nichols Arcade would be like a, a portal. And at these places, this is where not just men congregated, but the powerful men of the city congregated. And Lady Wisdom is shouting in, that, in those um, contexts. She's assertive with powerful men. You would have to describe her as sassy. To you men I call out, and my voice to humankind, understand shrewdness, you dupes. And fools, make your heart understand. Look, if I'm casting this, this goes to Whoopi Goldberg or Amy Schumer, you know, like there's just like a sassy quality to it. And it's, and it's aimed at the powerful men in these like powerful spots around the town. In the same vein, Lady Wisdom is depicted as very serious, um, especially in relation to the powerful men She's not to be trifled with. So there's a whole series of verses. I'll just sample a couple. Listen, I speak noble things. My mouth's utterance, uprightness. For my tongue declares truth and my lips loathe wickedness. Wickedness is an important word in the Hebrew Bible. It's the worst of the worst. It's a favorite word of the prophets. And wickedness refers to power taking advantage over vulnerable people. Like that's just the furthest badness in, in the Old Testament is power taking advantage over vulnerable people. That's wickedness in the Hebrew Bible. She's, she's down on that, Lady Wisdom. Mine is counsel and prudence. I am discernment. Mine is might. 
Like I'm powerful, but my powerful is rooted in something different than you. Yeah. Through me, kings reign and rulers decree righteous laws. Through me, princes hold sway and nobles, all the judges of the earth. Like I'm the inspiration for any good use of power. But while she's serious, her normal mode toward uh, humans who feel weak or insecure or frightened or anxious in relation to God uh, is alluring. Her posture is alluring. I, all my lovers I love and my seekers do find me. Lady Wisdom says. If you read Proverbs 9, it's just an expansion of how Lady Wisdom is alluring. It's like drawing people. I mean, just that one trait alone. How would it, under, how would it adjust our understanding of God if we saw God's wisdom as alluring? As something that like, can make us a little woozy. Uh, it's something that we can fall into, like, like falling in love. How would it affect our understanding of who God is if we just incorporated that understanding? And then um, the last trait here is playful. This is at the end where, um, where uh, we had our reading this morning from Hope. And I, wisdom, was by him, an intimate. I was his delight day after day. So he delighted in this sassy, loud, assertive, with power, playful person, playing before him at all times, playing in the world, his earth, and my delight with humankind. So there's much here to ponder. Um, it's a great text for meditation. We'll, we will meditate on it at the end for a few minutes. God and wisdom are depicted as intimates. That's an interesting word. They're intimates. It's, it's a word like lovers. They're lovers. God and wisdom are, are intimates. God is drawn to Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom is drawn to God. Um, and there's something about joy and fun and delight as the way God is inviting us to engage the gift of the world around us in this text. Like you just think about that. Like God is inviting us to engage the world around us with joy, play, and delight. Like that's, that's your human task made in the image of God. Okay? You're here. I like pretend I'm God talking. I went to a lot of trouble. I mean, you think this was easy to like come up with and the intricacies and have you been to the Grand Canyon? I mean, have you seen the sun like shining through a tree and do you understand about chlorophyll and like I I would really appreciate it if y'all would just really appreciate it. If you could just go wild, just appreciating what's around you. If you could like have some fun around here. If you could take joy. If you could nurture delight in what's going on around here. Like that's our task as human beings. 
is what Lady Wisdom is modeling for us. What does that tell us about um, the God who delights in her? Um, it would be very fun to tie each of these traits um, of Lady Wisdom to Jesus, but I, but I do want to keep the focus on the a depiction of wisdom as a woman because it's so underappreciated. But still, I do like Jesus too. And I wonder if Jesus wasn't intimate with Lady Wisdom like God is intimate with Lady Wisdom. I think there, there's a good thesis here. Um, there are indications, I think, in, in the Gospels that um, Jesus had a mystical connection with Lady Wisdom. That, like, Lady Wisdom was someone he experienced when he was praying. And that Lady Wisdom very much shaped his teaching and his spirituality. There's a, a 13th century French nun who was a flippin' mystic. The first writing by a woman in England was Julian of Norwich. She was a mystic. The first writing in French, they think, from a woman was this woman, this nun, Marguerite of Oint. Did I pronounce that right? Marguerite of Oint. I thought, isn't that just the way of the world? Like, to be a man, you can just come up with an idea and write about anything. To be a woman and get published, you've got to be like direct line plugged into God. <laughs> you know, then you're allowed to say something. You know, like Julian of Norwich and Marguerite of Oint. And she has this beautiful prayer. I discovered it in the Divine Hours mm, Thursday, closest to August, August 4th, the midday office of the Divine Hours, has Marguerite of Oint's prayer that begins, Jesus, you are my mother. And it just goes on in that vein. Jesus, you are my mother. She was having, this was coming out of her experience. She was a, a Carthusian. These were don't mess nuns because they were like, they were like, um, you know, sequestered away from everything. I mean, they were deep into, into God. And she was having mystical experiences of Jesus. And in those experiencing, she was experiencing Jesus as her mother and going on and about Jesus, her mother. I think that's because Jesus was having mystical experience of lady wisdom and was kind of channeling that. Um, Plus, playfulness, this is at, toward the end here, is something we associate with children, right? In, in all mammals, when they're children, they play. Wolves, dogs, cats, every, everyone plays. And you play is really important. It's how you learn to engage with the world effectively through play. So it's especially associated with children. And Jesus made childlikeness the centerpiece of his spirituality. I mean, he emphasized childlikeness in an unabashed way. Um, and I think it's because Jesus was unafraid and unapologetic about embracing human vulnerability, right? Like, vulner embracing your own vulnerability is something that's the hardest thing to do. It takes the most courage, in a sense, to embrace your vulnerability, which is your childlikeness. I'm, I'm not in charge of everything. There are bigger powers than me. I'm vulnerable. This is the centerpiece of Jesus' spirituality. And this is really coming out now in the social research done by Brene Brown, where um, her research tells us there is a wisdom 
in embracing our vulnerability instead of running from it that we often miss. Um, I've been noticing this and I think, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. A lot of couples break up using anger, which is, that can be totally appropriate and wise uh, when there's abuse or betrayal, but you know, it just finally gets, you just, the anger and the anger energizes you to say, we need to end this relationship. And that, and that can be a very wise way to break up a relationship. But have you noticed that sometimes when people do that kind of a breakup, inevitably after a week or two or a month or whatever, the anger subsides and then they have the warm feelings about the person and they then they're texting and you've all had friends, right? Who you know, like you're clapping when they break up with, you know, whoever it is, and then you know you're you're hoping, you're talking to your other friends, let's support Let's support our friend and keeping this breakup going, you know, and, you know, but then, oh, then you see the Facebook comments or whatever, and you're, no, 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 she needs support or he needs support, and, and sometimes that's when the anger is what we use for the breakup, but I've been noticing some couples who are breaking up um, for other reasons than betrayal or abuse, and sometimes the way they do it is they, they break up like they have a dinner. They have a breakup dinner and they tell each other what it is they appreciated about each other and how meaningful the connection was for them. Well, and sometimes they cry together and then that's the end of the relationship. And you know, that is a much, in those situations where it's appropriate, it's a much wiser kind of breakup because really um, often Sadness is the more honest emotion than anger. I mean, when you're angry, you're not necessarily feeling vulnerable. You're feeling empowered. You know, I'm right, this person's a loser. You know, that's a different kind of feeling. But sadness is a vulnerable feeling. And so often it's the more honest feeling in a breakup. And so when that is, when there's space for that to be expressed, it can just be a cleaner, a cleaner breakup, a, a more honoring uh, to the relationship breakup, if you will. And I think, hmm, there's, that's like an example of Lady Wisdom's wisdom. Um, anyway, there's a childlike quality to the spirituality of Jesus that is unafraid of vulnerability. And I just wonder if Jesus got it from his mystical connection with Wisdom, you know, there's a reason in the tradition that wisdom is personified because people who are practicing the spirituality of the tradition were experiencing God in this personal way. So this isn't just someone's idea of, well, Yahweh gets all the, all the rap for being masculine, so we need to, you know, we need to throw a bone to the ladies, so let's have lady wisdom. No, this was coming out of the experience people were having of the divine, and this is the way the experience was being expressed, and we see an example of that in um, Proverbs 8. So, the response to this is good, and this will be the lengthy lead-up to our meditation. So let's, let's read the final couple of verses, looking for um, the light. Look, and I'll start it with the, the opening verse just to set it. Look, wisdom calls out and lifts her voice, 
and I, wisdom, was by him and intimate. I was God's delight day after day, playing before him at all times, playing in the world, his earth, and my delight with humankind. Alter uses very, um, Hebrew is very spare language. It doesn't do all the fill-in explanatory words, and he's hewing strictly to that. And my delight with humankind. So, to play is to delight in your surroundings, it's to delight in yourself, and it's to delight in others. Like when we're in play mode, that's what's going on. We're delighting in our surroundings, we're, we're delighting in ourselves, and we're de de delighting in the people that we're, we're playing with. Um, now, Alter, our translator, indicates there are two likely senses of delight here. This is in his footnote, in this compact phrase, my delight with humankind. He says, my delight with humankind could mean the delight that she takes in humanity. The delight she, Lady Wisdom, takes in humanity. That, that, that means the delight that Lady Wisdom takes in all of us. So we could ponder that, you know, us is important, humankind. Lady Wisdom, think about it, was non-conforming to some social conventions. She was loud, assertive toward power, sassy, serious, alluring, and playful. This is not a list of traditional feminine qualities from that period. Um, we might embrace people in our lives. We might encounter people in our lives who don't fit into our little how to be a cool this or how to be a cool that. And maybe what Lady Wisdom does is Lady Wisdom moves in our hearts to delight in that person rather than doing the normal human thing, which is like, why would you be wearing socks with sandals? <laughs> Just to, you know, me, the persecuted one, wears socks with sandals. But um, this is all just a ploy for you to appreciate my socks with sandals. Um, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying, that we're, we all interact with people who are, they just, they don't conform to the normal expectations of how someone's, you know, we're seeing this in the presidential election, right, in terms of how the press and others are, relating to some of the female candidates, you know, their shrews or, you know, whatever. But maybe Lady Wisdom is all about helping us to appreciate our fellow human beings who are not conforming to, like, our little expectations of how this kind of a person or that kind of a person is, is their best version. In other words, Wisdom increases our capacity to light, to delight in those this world doesn't have the wisdom to delight in. That's what wisdom maybe does for us here. And then the second, I'm pulling all of this out of the footnote from Robert Alter here, so stick with me. My delight with humankind could also refer to the capacity to delight that Lady Wisdom possesses and conveys to humankind. Okay, Lady Wisdom has this capacity to
a delight. This is naturally playful. She has this particular quality about her. And we remember, this is coming out of someone's experience of the divine. They're having this feeling about, ooh, I'm feeling allured by this presence. And there's a playfulness to this presence. And there's a sassiness to this presence. And, and there's this a delight, fun aspect to this presence that I'm experiencing in my spirituality. Let me just read again what he says. My delight with humankind could also refer to the capacity to delight that Lady Wisdom possesses and conveys to humankind. That's what Alter actually thinks is the, is the more, the stronger understanding of that compact phrase and my delight with humankind. So in that sense, wisdom helps us take the light in our surroundings, in others, in ourselves. I've been reading um, The Book of Delights by um, Ross Gay. I knew nothing about Ross Gay. I just saw this at the bookstore. The Literati bookstore got the, I don't know, Publishers Weekly, Best Independent Booksellers. I'm saying, I'm going down to Literati and I'm going to buy a book this time instead of take a picture of it and then go home and order it on Amazon. <laughs> so I was just looking around to buy them a congratulatory book for their becoming the book. And this, this one jumped out at me, The Book of Delights. And this is a book that turns out the author is African-American, um, is a professor of poetry at the uh, University of Indiana. And he decided to write this after the election of 2016 as a kind of a therapy. So what he decided to do was just be open to a daily delight. So he would kind of scan through his day and he would... At the end of the day, he would relate, uh, write about a little essay, he calls them essayettes, he's a poet really, um, of something that delighted him or caught his attention. And it's, it's quite marvelous. And reading it has the effect of making you more tuned into the delight, you know, like maybe I could have the lights, my eyes open for delights, things to take delight in in my day because there's such a wide variety of things that every day he's saying like something happens or we encounter something that we could take the light in and what if we just took a little time to pickle ourselves in that even if it's a few minutes to, to ponder and to enjoy it um, so the idea here is like that lady wisdom wants to give us her capacity to take the light wherever the light can be had. That's what Lady Wisdom wants to do. So let's maybe lean into that sense as we shift into our quiet reflection, which we'll do today on this text itself. Um, so for our quiet reflection time, if you'd like to get comfortable in your chair there, close your eyes if you like, that's totally up to you. And maybe just begin by taking a few deep breaths, maybe in through the nose and out through the mouth, and I'll give some more guidance. And now just take a moment to be present in the space there. Let the sounds around you come your way. Notice the feel of the air 
around you, the weight of your body on the chair, your feet on the floor. Just be present to where you are right now for a moment. And then we'll just take the next two minutes and I'll read this text maybe every 30 seconds or so. As your mind wanders, you can, which it will, you can return your focus to this text. And what we're doing here, remember, this is the voice of Lady Wisdom. So you might even begin to try to picture with your imagination the idea of wisdom being a woman who's like this. And I, wisdom, was by him an intimate. I was his delight day after day, playing before him at all times, playing in the world, his earth, and my delight with humankind. again and I wisdom was by him an intimate I was his delight day after day playing before him at all times playing in the world his earth and my delight with humankind third time and I wisdom was by him an intimate I was his delight day after day playing before him at all times playing in the world his earth and my delight with humankind And a final time. And I, wisdom, was by him an intimate. I was his delight day after day, playing before him at all times, playing in the world, his earth, and my delight with humankind.